Welcome to the Always On Podcast. I am your host, Duncan McPherson. On this podcast, our objective is to enable our audience, which are very high-caliber fee-for-service professionals, to always be working on their business and on themselves. And to that end, on today's podcast, I had an absolutely stellar conversation with Max and Lucas Winthrop of Winthrop Wealth. We covered a lot of ground in this episode, but we really put an emphasis on embracing the C-suite, which is all about moving away from a book of business to running a business like a business. Max and Lucas are essential follows on LinkedIn. I encourage you to visit their website. Get to know this team because of the credibility they have in terms of not only achieving organic growth, but also scalable growth. If you like this podcast, please like and share, tell your colleagues. Of course, if you have any ideas or topics you'd like to hear on this podcast down the road, just let us know. Thanks for listening. For years, financial advisors uh, referred to themselves as brokers. Uh, transactional, focusing on products, pricing, performance. Then the shift occurred where they became advisors. They evolved from just knowledge to expertise, from being transactional to more directional. And as that gathered steam, the enlightened advisors started to embrace best practices. Uh, in fact, they started to refer to it as a practice. And then they started to grow, started to add bench strength and became, you know, a bit of an ensemble. And now we're in an era where the most enlightened financial professionals no longer refer to it as a book of business. It's an actual business. And I love talking about this, especially from the perspective of reality, not theory. And to do that, I'm so excited to have Lucas and Max Winthrop uh, from Boston, great part of the world, as most of you know. These two are the embodiment of the C-suite. Uh, they're clients of Pareto Systems. The relationship is undeniably reciprocal, meaning we get as much out of the relationship as they do. Uh, I've, I've spoken on a panel with them uh, to very, very high-quality financial advisors. Uh, I couldn't be more excited, guys, to have you here. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're excited to be here, Duncan. Thanks for having us today. Yeah, pleasure. And, you know, I've been saying for years that the people who like us the most need us the least. You guys don't need us, and yet your respect and appreciation, uh, in fact, just leading up to us going live here, you're talking about your interaction uh, with your accountability partner, Scott Hamilton, and how he's a sounding board. And uh, just the exercise of interacting with him just brings something out. But, but, to look through the, your lens, every time I talk to Scott about you, 
Uh, I can just feel the energy because he knows he doesn't want it more than you do. But you also, you push back, you bring something out in him. It's, it is the perfect aligned relationship. So today's conversation, as I said, will be the C-suite. Where we're going to talk about what it means to scale up a business, uh, to achieve plateau avoidance, to minimize dilution as you grow, to maintain and actually elevate professional contrast. And the best part about it is Max and Lucas take this so seriously, but the credibility is unrivaled. So guys, let's let's get into this. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourselves. And I, I do want you to pay tribute to your dad because I know you're a big part of the continuity and secession plan which is massive um, with your business. So so why don't you start there, Max, just tell us a little bit about your business and, and why you embraced uh, this approach to the C-suite so significantly. All right. Thanks, Duncan. Um, I could probably spend a whole episode talking about this, but I'll try, I'll try to paint the picture pretty quickly. Um, we are Boston-based uh, we set up our registered investment advisor in 2017, so uh, fairly recently. Um, but prior to that, our father and uncle uh, started as advisors in the early 80s. And so we pay a lot of respect and tribute to them because they created a sort of a launch pad or a springboard for us to build what we have today. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a really important, important piece of our company fabric and always doing the right thing. Um, they started in the advisory space in the early mid eighties at a time when the industry was largely transactional. So brokerage based, uh, the lion's share of advisors were actually brokers. And so it took um, a decade plus to build an advisory book of business, an advisory practice. You had to go out there and Gain clients trust. <laughs> when you start from zero, uh, one dollar counts. And so we grew up with this mindset and I, I don't ever want to discount that. Um, but it's about helping people connecting uh, their money with their financial goals, acting in a fiduciary capacity. That's a really important piece of our fabric. And so where we are today is uh, Lucas came into the business before I did, he's our chief operating officer. Um, and then I came in after spending three and a half years working for a large corporation. And we saw what was happening in the industry, winds of change uh, for the first time in sort of the history of our cottage industry, uh, people were able to monetize their advisory practices. So private equity came in and buyouts were starting to happen. and this consolidation wave was really picking up steam. You saw the consolidators coming in, you know, the high towers of the world, the United Capitals of the world, uh, and the Focus Financial, which is publicly traded FOCS. Um, so they came in and started rolling up firms like ours or advisors like our father and our uncle. And so we got out in front of that. I think we were lucky with timing in, in, in many instances. We can sort of credit 
uh, what we've built, and Lucas will talk about this later, to sort of being in the right place at the right time and having the right technology tools available. Uh, but we set up this new co in 2017, which was a merger of our father and uncle's original businesses. We set up a partnership structure and we built a team around that. So we went from literally uh, independent books of business growing from $0 to a significant number, uh, a respectable number in the industry. And when we, when we did the combination of, of our father and uncle in 2017, they were slightly shy of a billion dollars of AUM. And so since then, we've built this structure. We've tripled the team, hiring in experts into our core functions. And we have three of them. One is financial planning, two is portfolio management, and three is really service. And that is wrapped with a proprietary technology that we've created an integrated technology infrastructure that gives our advisors capacity. So that's where we are today. We just crossed 2 billion of regulatory assets. We're really proud of that. And we've started to take on what we call uh, advisor partners that leverage mm -hmm. our platform. And they're on the East Coast, on the West Coast, and we're selectively bringing on these advisor partners. Okay, you covered a lot of ground there. We're going to touch on this in some great detail. Um, and and I don't want this to be overlooked, uh, Lucas, because when I met your dad, I could see uh, the Zen fulfillment that he had knowing that his, and his, you know, your uncle's enterprise is in good hands. The torch is you know, being handed, uh, which which is a a massive part because your indispensability to a client's continuity and succession issues gets amped up because your firm has addressed your own in real time. But uh, Lucas, let, let's let's get into this. So, the C suite, obviously, it starts with being the CFO your technical ability, your core competency as a firm. Can we talk a little bit about how you've refined and optimized that aspect of your deliverables? Absolutely. No, thanks, Duncan. And I think just following up, up off what Max just talked about, that beautiful introduction there. Thanks, Max. Uh, we think our, we want to be part of the transformation. We don't want to wait for the transformation to happen. And so that's kind of been our mindset in everything that we've implemented here at our firm and the way that we've grown. And so coming at it from that angle, it's really understanding all the moving components of the business and starting to separate them out, right? So typical one-man shop, uh, which there's a lot of them out there. And we were at one point in that similar place as a solo practitioner, you are the CFO, the CEO, the COO, the advisor. You're, you know, paying the bills, utility bills. You're keeping the lights on. Um, there's a lot to to think about, and so our approach was really creating these areas of specialists and starting to separate separate out roles and responsibilities. Um, when it comes to CFO, I'd say Max spends more time in this realm than I do. 
but the importance is having somebody who has ownership over that part of the business. And so ownership is different than awareness. I think when somebody has true ownership over their role and responsibility, it creates this layer of transparency and awareness throughout the rest of the firm. It means that me personally, while I might not day-to-day be focused on the financials of the business, I'm totally aware in how what I'm doing has an impact on the financials of the business and how the financials of the business have an impact on what I'm doing from a reinvestment standpoint. And so it's this philosophical alignment across the firm where everybody understands that, hey, you know, if the market's going down and, and we and billings are down, okay, well, we're gonna talk about that as a as a company and use that to address our business goals. So if it's reinvestment, if it's making a, a new headcount higher, okay, well, we're forecasting that out. We're planning for it. We're proactively looking at the components of the business. And I think this is where the operational role ties into the CFO role is understanding what budget looks like to be able to go and make reinvestments that are going to re- have a return on the investment. Um, it's a, it's, it's, I think as we continue to evolve every every month when we sit down as a leadership team or every week we sit down as a leadership team, we're looking at all these things and it's become this proactive management of the business that gives us full transparency into where we're going and how we're going to get there. Knowing that it's not a linear line, there's a lot of roadblocks, a lot of speed bumps, uh, setbacks, and that's the nature of any business. But having the right framework with the right roles and responsibility to navigate that is an absolute game changer. Okay. So what year, this is perfect because before the adoption and deployment of best practices can occur, there has to be a mindset to embrace a panoramic approach that it's not just people with technical ability, it's a practice and a process. And, you know, like you're saying, the sole practitioners, practitioners, uh, would wear many hats. And the starting point, back to what Max was saying, is just demystifying, getting absolutely clear about roles and responsibilities, uh, bench strength, org chart, specificity. Functional, functional accountability is what we refer to it as. And I will, I'll say, Duncan, I know you're a big hockey guy up there in Canada. The goalie isn't ever going to play offense. He's not going out there on the front lines and, and shooting at the, the goalie on the other side. His role is not to be scoring goals. His role is to keep goals from being scored on him. Right. And so you can't, you have to understand the different players on your team. And what I think is really unique is, Addressing the current team that you have, understanding their roles that they're currently in, what you know, maybe cr- some cross-function accountability, but using what you have to really refine your current team, and then if you're building, what are those next positions that you're hiring for? Right. So, and again, I don't want to go on a rant here, but it, it's it's really something that I'm super passionate about is building functional teams, and I think it's it's looking at the whole picture, understanding. Who is that next player? Do we need to make a trade, right? Do we need a backup goalie or do we only need one? We we got we got pretty deep on this, Duncan. <laughs> so 
before we even get there, I think if we can set the stage and say, there are many ways to be a successful advisor. And so you had mentioned in one of your, um, in one, it was either one of your uh, panel sessions or one of your podcasts that I listened to, Ikigai, finding your mm-hmm. Ikigai. And I love that. And I want to bring that concept in quickly because your reason for being as an advisor that should be the primary starting point because there are many ways to build this business. If you wa- and I've done this, I've spoken in front of you know larger groups of advisors, and if you if you say who wants to grow, ninety nine percent of the hands go up, and then the next question is okay, uh, who wants to make an acquisition? Seventy five to eighty percent go up. Who's ready to move? from an industry 60 to 80% margin to a 20% margin, hands go down. (laughs) So knowing what it takes to build a larger scale enterprise, the reinvestment required, the team building required is an important part of that journey. And then lining that up with your Ikigai, are you best suited to be the advisor? A lot of folks that we come across are incredibly talented advisors, and that's their core competency. That's what they love to do. They love to work with clients. That's what they should be doing. They shouldn't be trying to deal with the finances of the company. So I think it comes back to who am I and who do I want to be and how do I want to serve? It's always something I ask myself. And then what is it that I want to build? You can build, and and through Pareto, we've learned there are advisors out there that have 40 clients and those clients are 15, $20 million on average. That advisor has a very different organization than we do. Yeah. <laughs> the structure is completely different. So um, that's just something I wanted to, to sort of help frame the conversation. Okay. Um, so hold on, hold on. So before I get choked up because Lucas goes with hockey Max goes to Ikigai. These are two things that are just so near and dear to my heart. You know, in the spirit of beginning with the end in mind, reverse engineering back. And I, I don't know if we talked about this before, guys, but, um, you know, the Blue Square Method. Have you guys seen the show on Netflix called The Blue Zone? Okay. The talk of longevity, how to get to longevity. Great show. Not just Yeah. Well, and of course, it starts in Okinawa, talks about Ikigai, very, very powerful, but business longevity. I mean, if this is a multi-generation business, uh, longevity is very important. And of course, a team can't pour from an empty cup if the longevity of the business is coming at the expense of the individuals because they're just working uh, themselves down to the bone. I mean, it's just it's just not sustainable. So... Let, let's okay. So first of all, I want to come back to something, and it still comes down to trust. It's all about trust. Your your team has to trust you. Your strategic partners have to trust you. Uh, advisors who are maybe going to adopt your process and draft in behind your efficiency need to trust you. Your organic clients need to trust you. What I keep asking our clients is, what does everybody trust? 
Okay. They can't just trust your technical technical ability. There was a time that was enough. Now there's so much more to it. So many advisors, they keep refining and optimizing their, their approach to wealth management. Some to varying degrees are getting out of the wealth management business by outsourcing it to focus on what's more proprietary in terms of their practice and their relationships. But now let's go into this. So let, let's start with the CEO and the COO role, because those are very essential to the C-suite. The CEO and the COO are responsible for consistency, especially as they grow. So to minimize or dilution and actually focus on elevating as they grow. But also HR. HR is such a substantial issue right now. So I really want to hear your perspective on how being a chief operating officer, being a chief executive officer impacts consistency and HR. So uh, Max, why don't you run with that first? Sure. Um, During our discovery phase of what we wanted to build, and it's never going to be perfect, and you're never going to build exactly what you think you are, and and you may pivot along the way, um, as we did a few times. But we we knew our guiding light was to to build an organization, a really talented team that had centralized resources to make our advisors more productive, to make their lives easier, and to provide our clients continuity. And so that was sort of our, our guiding mission. It still is today as we continue to grow. We needed the organization to be scalable. Um, and at that point, you start adding levels of redundancy uh, for support. So if something happens to to Lucas, if something happens to me, if something happens to somebody on our leadership team, the business can still continue to operate. And so we've, we've been on this journey now um, for better part of seven years, and it's always changing. But my main job as CEO is to, to look out into the future and to position the business to continue to delivering on the promise of continuity. And so there are many different things that are going to come down the pike in the future. But one of the things early on was setting up our independent registered investment advisor. That gave us a step or moved us, I should say, a step closer to true independence where we had Mm. more ownership over our firm level data and relationships. And that was really important. Gave us more flexibility to work more closely uh, and in a more aligned fashion with our core clients. And so we, we built this organization really to, one, first and foremost, support our advisors. But along the way, the team building started to become a big focus. So we talk about um, building functional accountability. At first, it was just Lucas and I. And, you know, we do a lot of ideating together. But Lucas is, and he can speak to this, more of an implementer. And he has, he used to build Legos when he was a kid without the instructions. And they got more complex and more complex and more complex. And he could still do it. So if I come up with an idea of something that we should try as an organization, he'll figure out how to implement it and get it done. Mm. And so we're very complementary. And I think that that was um, a really important factor in our early success. 
And then since we've hired into the chief technology officer position, um, we've hired into the chief compliance officer position. Um, we now have a chief investment officer. And so we continue to build out this team, which everybody except for Lucas and I is solely focused on their role and does not have client responsibility. It allows them to go really deep into what mm. they do and to become experts as a differentiator for us. Um, it's an expensive way to build initially, but it, again, puts the advisor in the driver's seat by giving them a ton of productivity and time back and deep expertise in our core functions, portfolio, planning, advanced planning. And so that's really important. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there. I know I, I talked a bit, but the, the key no, with creating good. this sort of C-suite is you can either go out and you can hire it right away. You need resources to do that. It's expensive. The way we did it was we were uh, cheap labor for a period of time. Yes, we were fortunate. We're grateful for that to grow up around the business, but we were relatively cheap labor. Um, in the beginning, we probably didn't, we didn't know what we were doing. Um, <laughs> we were doing some experimenting and we didn't take too much risk out of the gate. But as we developed competency and technical ability and saw where we were succeeding, we continued to push and push and push to the point where we grew into executives um, that have filled the CEO and COO roles. Well, and now, well, first of yeah. all, uh, you know, sorry to cut you off there, but uh, I, I first of all I have to say this: uh, a theme has been born out of this, and I, I just wrote it down. It's the new FA, so financial advisor, functional accountability. This is actually an important bridge because, uh, in in the spirit of sort of removing the mystery, roles and responsibilities, accountability, stay in your lane. Right, Lucas, regarding the goalie, like this is what you do. We're not asking you to score. Uh, we're asking you to just basically allow us to stay in this game, uh, which is uh, I love the analogy. But building on this, so Lucas, the CEO, COO, there's a dual track here because you've got the organic business. You've got legacy clients. You've got legacy advisors. It's interesting, by the way, many of our clients where the senior advisors have brought in protégés, those protégés came from outside of the industry and had a predisposition to professional contrast because they weren't completely focused on technical ability. They brought in the panoramic view, kind of an interesting distinction. But what you guys have done uh, because of the CEO, COO, is the organic B2C business being so process-driven as a proof of concept that now you have earned the right to attract advisors to buy into your process. Those who don't have scale, those who are feeling too much friction, they want to liberate themselves from all the minutia so they can just do what they like to do, and that is generally uh, speak to clients. So, Lucas, talk about how how that has been achieved and, and what that's meant to your growth uh, reality. Yeah, uh, 
Duncan, I, I was taking some notes here when Max was talking and when you guys were going back and forth. Uh, getting back to kind of that COO, CEO role, I think there's, we talked about this in one of our prep calls, it was vision and execution, right? And so a lot of right. people have this vision, but they lack the execution. And so vision without execution is just hallucination. Um, <laughs> that's one of my favorites. I, I use that all the time. So, <laughs> but I get back to this idea of how do we create capacity for people to really pursue their passion? And my role specifically, I just wrote this down, but it was how to embrace our team's passion to influence and elevate their performance and potential. I know that's a lot, but in a, nutshell, in a nutshell, that's essentially what I look to do. And so the vision is to create redundancy for us to be able to scale. And this ties back into this cultural component, which is um, celebrating people's ability to step away so that they don't burn out. Mm. It's very foreign to this older culture, which was... Well, you show up to work when you're sick because it shows that you're committed and strong. There was no, you know, if you get the whole office sick, too bad. Everyone's coming in because that's what we do, right? We're tough. And so that culture shifted a little bit to now don't come to work if you're sick. Well, you can work from home or take a day off. But in these smaller firms, it's tough, right? We have a lot of people that, you know, on a daily basis, we rely on to help just keep the day-to-day -day going. And so this idea of building redundancy really comes from our vision to be able to scale. Redundancy means having a process in every department, a process for every role, meaning that if somebody steps away or is unable to come into work or to perform their duties in their job, we know how to do that job. And so in the past, and we, we had this internally as well, uh, back when Max and I were just getting started, jack of all trades, masters of none. And if that one person wasn't available, no one knew how to do their job. And so things would slip through the cracks. So there's this idea of creating consistency and process, which ties into the functional accountability which ties back into a culture to be able to allow people to pursue what they're passionate about. And our job is, and my job specifically, is to remove the roadblocks to their capacity, to create more capacity. And so we started with ourselves, with our, our father and our uncle. They were, they were, they had no capacity. They had hit this capacity wall. And so they weren't, enjoying a lot of the things that they were doing. It was taking, it was killing their passion. It was a passion killer. They couldn't think about the things that they wanted to think about that they were truly passionate about, which was serving their clients and helping their clients live their lives to the fullest. And so what we did was we solved internally for that first. And in the, in the process of solving for that five years later, Max and I are like, Oh my God, like we've, we solved for that. And, our dad and our uncle, both who by now should have been retired as <laughs> what they said they, when they said they wanted to retire, they would be retired by now, both of them. We've extended their working life because they're only doing what they love to do. 
reigniting passion into our advisors. And so what we've realized is, wow, we've done this internally. Maybe this is something that we can offer to other select advisors. And I'll get back to Pareto. While Pareto for us is, is really focused on our B2C, the principle and the value system is ingrained in our culture, regardless of it's B2B or B2C. And on sort of B2B, we don't want to work with everybody. We're not here. We're not all things to everybody, right? But we do want to be all things, Duncan, to people who fit that bucket, that have an embraced and shared value system and philosophical understanding of where they want to go. So if that's a good fit, we want to help reignite that passion. We want to break down that capacity wall. Okay, so watch how this is just starting to converge. So you've got Ikigai on one side, you have consistency on the other. You, you talk about how you've liberated your dad and your uncle and rejuvenated them. They've earned the right based on their mileage uh, and and just all of those qualities that you just can't teach. But, you know, and I, I'm having a flashback to that call we had a, a month or so ago where you talked about the dynamic between vision and execution. Execution is key. And a lot of people might be listening to this and go, oh, my gosh, this sounds like work. Well, done is better than perfect. I mean, if you just execute, you assess on, on what you've executed, you can refine and optimize it, but just be at peace with that. But th this is profound. And again, very high credibility here because you're living this day to day. But let's go to that narrow casting. We're not all things to all people. And that's dual track as well. Organic. So it's not who we're looking for, it's who we're suited for. Let's talk about B2B. Let's talk about advisors. So you've created a culture within your bench, and you don't want that to be diminished as you start to attract new people. So what is your mindset and approach for attracting people into your environment? It's, do you want me to speak on that? Go for Getting it. Excited. Um, so this concept of process engenders trust is one that I think resonates really with me. It's something that's in the fabric of the Pareto system. And through process, you can accelerate the building of trust. So when it comes when it comes to the B2B side, um, we kind of fell into it. Lucas was presenting about our platform. I think it was specifically our integrated technology platform, which is one of the top three challenges of any independent RIA out there. Technology integration is really challenging, a really tough nut to crack. Mm -hmm. um, we went out early on and hired into our C-suite a chief technology officer at a time where we probably shouldn't have. It was a lot of money to spend. Uh, and... Um, in this case, this role wasn't generating any business. So we had to hit mm -hmm. the pause button. We had to reinvest margin to this role. But now we look back and we say, wow, that was, that was a really good idea. Um, because now we have this integrated framework and it works really well. Um, it's portfolio performance reporting. We own all of that data into our proprietary CRM. So we're able to look at things. You know, you talk about segmentation of um, of 
advisors, clients. And so not every client is your ideal client. And so advisors typically have different service models for different tiers of, of clients. And that that's normal. But to actually define that is one thing. And then to do the work to implement and integrate that in your daily business is a completely different animal. And you need technology to do that. And you need integrated technology that talks to the different systems to be able to report back to you to say, Duncan, for your top clients, you need to be calling them once a month. Are you doing that? And how are you tracking it? So <laughs> you need the engine to be able to, to integrate with other systems and then to report back to you as the advisor. So that, again, tough nut to crack. And early on, we invested a lot here and we were able to figure it out. And we give our chief technology officer tremendous um, props for that because he did he did such a nice job pulling on you know his expertise and resources. And so Lucas was presenting on on this at a Barron's conference, and he got approached by somebody who said, "That's really cool. That's really cool. Can I get access to it? Tell me more. Is it is it something you'd be willing to you know to sell?" And so Lucas came back after after this conference and he said, I met I met this individual who was fantastic, very passionate. He loved what we were doing and he asked if he could buy it. So two years later, he was our first advisor partner on the platform. And he's been able to grow at an above average clip over the industry. And this is the key. And, and we were just doing the same thing for him that we did for our advisors. How do we clear capacity for you to help you build continuity, to help you grow, to help you deliver a higher level of client experience? So that evolution was happening over, you know, once we onboarded them over, you know, the six, 12, 18 month period. And we saw the results and we said, wow, that we, I think we have something here. So we were approached, Duncan, by a number of advisors, and not everybody gets um, or qualifies to come onto our platform. Mm -hmm. As you said, there really needs to be alignment. That's the number one factor for us. There needs to be alignment across key things like, how do you run money? How do you think about client service? What mm -hmm. is your fundamental highest and best use? What is your ikigai? Mm -hmm. And so we're, we know that we're not... <laughs> We're not for everybody. If somebody comes to us and says, I, I really like what you have as a platform, my specialty and my ikigai is running money, that, that's a knockout factor for us. But if okay. somebody comes to us and says, I'm a CFP, I'm a really talented planner, I don't have the time to go deep with my clients like I want to, it's probably a really good fit because we okay, can give so them the portfolio and everything else. A customized podcast can add credibility and efficiency to your communication efforts. Sifting good prospects from the mass of suspects, staying top of mind with strategic partners, and activating more advocacy from existing clients can be achieved with a turnkey approach. Learn more at proudmouth.com.
The best place to strengthen a client relationship is in the very place where you manage that relationship. BlueSquareToolkit.com has harnessed the best practices of Pareto systems and brought them to life in our easy to use system that is accessible on both your phone and your desktop. Simple technology to uncomplicate your life by creating clarity, accountability, and consistency for your entire team. Build stronger client relationships by tracking and archiving essential information on what matters in your client's life and make yourself indispensable and more referable in the process. Create a more consistent client experience and grow your business with the Blue Square Toolkit. Visit bluesquaretoolkit.com to get your 14-day free trial today. Yeah. This is this is very, very crucial here. So Lucas presents somebody sitting in the crowd and becomes aware of an unmet need they have. The response is, I want to buy into this process. And it goes from response to result. That efficiency without reinventing the wheel, just adopting and deploying your converged approach, because chances are his approach was cobbled over years, just layered things on top, but you had convergence. And not enough people are talking about the qualitative aspect of, okay, now the business serves my life. If I'm that advisor, the business is running me. Now I'm drafting in and I'm running the business because I'm focused on my Iki guy. I'm focusing on what I like to do. I've outsourced everything else to you guys. That's very meaningful. I think it also speaks to how we built. And I'll say that Max and I, you know, we're a little scrappy, right? When it comes to our, our ability to get things done and we're very motivated. Uh, if and... you need cat five cable <laughs> pulled in your office, Lucas can do that. That we learned that early on. Yeah. I'm a, you know, I've got some other out, outside of, uh, outside business activity, hobbies, <laughs> um, electrical work is maybe one of those anyway. Uh, you know, the things that come with being a COO versus a CEO, uh, Max, Max will be behind the computer and I'll be, uh, pulling wires. But anyway, uh, I'm here to, to help my team get their things done and remove those roadblocks. Uh, but getting back to what I was going to talk about before Max distracted me, uh, was this idea of how we built what we have in our platform. And I feel like it's really cool because all from at least my opinion and my perspective, all the neatest business comes that have been built come out of this unique need they were trying to solve a problem for themselves first right they didn't start a business trying to solve problems for other people it started with solving one problem for me or for us mm -hmm. and in doing that it's a little bit slower maybe right there's a lot of trial and error and and you figure it when you figure it out you kind of open your eyes and you say oh wow you know if this is a problem for us Perhaps it was also a problem for other people, and we have an amazing solution that might, if they're a good fit, work for them too. And so just in speaking around the platform that we had built with no intentions of bringing anyone on board, people were curious. 
And that's kind of what started our, our process of going into, okay, well, how do we potentially bring on others that are a really good fit? And so it started with also def- defining what that was. What is the fit criteria, not only for our new clients, but for potential business partners? Um, and so I think it's it's this intention that you need to have going into it. Uh, I always tell our clients, like what I tell our clients, like if you if you start a business to just make money, you probably never make money. If you start a business that you are super passionate about and you love coming in to work every day and you can't even turn it off, you don't want to turn it off, the money will come. The success will be there. It might not be a week or a year, but if you are consistent and intentional in your approach, you will see results and you'll open your eyes one day and say, oh my God, how did I get here? It's pretty cool. Okay. So, so get into the weeds there for a second, because you professionalize and standardize everything. You engage with a prospective client that's been introduced to you. There's a fit process. It's bought, not sold. You don't convince them to become a client. Same applies. So the way you start a relationship with an advisor has a profound impact on how it's going to unfold and, and blossom. So what specifically is your fit process with a financial professional? That that advisor that approached you with a response, I want to buy into that. Okay. What got you from response to result where you both decided there's a good fit? Let's do this. Let's align. What is your framework? I'll say there's there's a few elements and then I'll let Max jump in, but patience is is critical, right? We don't want anybody who is trying to move too quickly, right? Wanting to move versus wanting to rip out the wires and go tomorrow, it just tells us that mm-hmm. they're not maybe as intentional about the process. So there's a dating process that is extremely important for us to really get to understand who you are and, and for you to understand who we are and to find that philosophical alignment on fit values, passion that takes time. And I, what I think what we figured out is maybe how to shorten the time a little bit, but we don't want to shorten it too much. And so this dating period is, is really where we get to learn about who these people are and, and, and for them to learn about who we are, what we look for for this type of, we'll call it an affiliate coming onto our platform as an acting as an advisor for their clients is somebody who is an extremely talented planner. And the reason for that is because again, our criteria, what we feel we can add a lot of, where we feel we can add a lot of value to a, a affiliate advisor partner is helping them win bigger clients with more complexity. We set our firm up to solve for more complexity in client relationships. And so if somebody is working with more mass affluent clients, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not a good fit for us. A good fit for us is a highly talented planner who wants to focus on going an inch wide, a mile deep on planning. And if that's what they want to be doing, we can clear the capacity everywhere else. We can, make sure we have a a robust centralized investment management platform. We don't want an advisor who's coming on and wants to have control 
and hold on to this control on investment management because in our in our belief, we don't think that they can add a ton of value doing that. Okay, so Max, before you add to that, uh, a wise man said that we we are what we lack. Okay, so there are advisors that lack certain things that are looking to have those issues addressed without reinventing the wheel, potentially outsourcing it. So to help them get to an understanding that there's an alignment, Lucas, you started with philosophy. There's a philosophical alignment and that can't be forced. It takes time. I'm assuming that you build up the framework with the philosophical, strategic and practical fit. Is that how it cascades now? With advisors, you 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 check the philosophical fit box, then you start to look at the strategic fit around how does the client benefit from this? How does the advisor and their existing team benefit from this? Max, do you want to uh, add to that? I think that PSP framework, Duncan, uh, the philosophical, strategic, practical, I love that. Um, I just wrote it down. And I think that is a good way to approach any of our matches in life. So let me pull up for a second. I, I got married last mm-hmm. year, been married for a little bit over a year. Um, let me ask you, Duncan, did you go on a date before you got married? I did. I was shocked that it happened, but yes, I did. <laughs> did you go on more than one date before you got married? Even more shocking. Even more shocking. Based um, on how the first date went, yeah, I was absolutely astonished. You probably paid for dinner too. Um, yes. Yeah. So, you know, this process of getting to know whether it's a business or an individual, there's always a human behind it. And so we take that very seriously. And for our B2B relationships, for our advisor partners, we want to make sure we know them really well before we get married. Because we all know that unwinding a marriage, getting divorced, it's Mm -hmm. messy. It's emotionally taxing on both parties. It has financial consequences. And so PSP, philosophically, are we aligned? Do Do we share the same values? Like, We probably wouldn't get married if we didn't share the same value system, or at least it wasn't closely aligned. Strategically, does it make sense to to do that, right? Um, you know, if, if we go to the strategic level, something we might ask ourselves is, can we can we implement this? Yes, we share these philosophies, but can we actually execute and implement this and make it work? And we have a deep discussion about that. And that might that might mean that, you know, philosophically we share the same values, we invest in the same way, we think about our clients in the same way, but um, you know the the demographics and and composition of the clients and the number of accounts and the average account size may be well with outside may be well outside our scope to handle and so we mm-hmm. can't deliver this, that level of value to the advisor that we want to so maybe there's not a strategic fit but if there is then we move on to the practical so I, I think that framework works in in life in general and it's definitely um, <laughs> It's it well describes how we um, we run our fit process for our B two B advisor partners. So again, the practical is the economics, uh, eyes wide open, 
the strategic is how do we position this and explain why this is happening to clients because it's in their best interest. Philosophical is let's take the long view. We're going to be together for potentially a long time. Fun fact, um, when my then girlfriend, when it started, you know, gelling, I'm thinking, okay, there's a there there. Don't mess this up. Uh, I took her to my hometown to show her around and, uh, you know, trying to impress her because I was so enamored. I ran out of gas twice in one day. And unbelievable. It's still, it's, I know, it is unbelievable. And so from a caveat emptor perspective, I mean, she knew what she was uh, entering into. Not long after that, she became my fiance and still amazed to this day. She is my wife and mother of our kids. It's incredible. But you're right. It started off, um, interestingly, um, I got to tell you something. Uh, a client of mine yesterday gave me a book called Life is Messy. Pretty interesting. And uh, within that book, there's a little focus on kintsugi. Kintsugi is the Japanese art form of repairing broken pottery with uh, gold dust and glue. And the finished product is more valuable than the original because of the art form that goes into that. And I think from a metaphor, as a metaphor in life, uh, embracing the struggle, embracing the fact that it's not perfect, and just having good intentions and a good process to to address those issues, the outcomes are spectacular. Um, okay, so PSP, exceptional. Let's let's keep going through the C-suite for a second. CTO, Lucas, you mentioned CTO and how a lot of people have cobbled it together. You created a role and responsibility, full convergence. I'm assuming that clients appreciate how that creates consistency and so to uh, advisors, because if I'm an advisor, I want you to put more sand in my hourglass. I want to stop majoring in minor things. I don't enjoy doing this. I enjoy doing this. Let me just do this. Uh, go a little deeper into the CTO uh, role and how important technology is to balance out high tech with high touch. Absolutely. Uh, something that we're super passionate about specifically for me. Work backwards for a second, Duncan. Start with the end client. So driving results for the end client, how do we... How do we increase value there for the client? Right. Well, for them to get more value, that means that the advisor has to have more time. More time for the advisor to go deeper with that client, spend more time with that client. How does the advisor have more time? Getting into process and structure. Okay, departmental structures and processes within each department. So call it the, the service and operations behind everything tying financial planning, investment management, compliance, wrapping, all of that with technology. So before technology, it was very manual process, right? There was, you know, you got certain things done. It was uh, a lot of different steps. People physically had to be doing things where they're moving things to your direction, right? 
they call it like the manufacturing line that was very manual process. Mm-hmm. Well, then they you you started implementing some robotics in there to help create efficiency and redundancy. So we've we really viewed technology as something that yeah, the end client, I don't really care if the end client knows about our technology and how great it is because the only time that it's a problem is if they're not getting the value in the client experience that they should be getting. So if they're getting value in the client experience, it is typically going to be because our technology and infrastructure has created capacity for advisors mm-hmm. to go and service the hell out of our clients and do an amazing job. So technology is what creates internal efficiency and redundancy, but also more importantly, transparency. Transparency to know what's happening and when it's happening. Serving information to the advisor's fingertips so that they don't have to spend time to go and find and piece it together. Consolidation, right? So all these, I always used to use this analogy or this uh, example. For any advisors that might be listening to this, how many pieces of technology do you have different logins to that you go in on a daily basis? Might be your custodial platform, might be your email, it might be a messaging like a Teams or a uh, uh, Slack. It might be a uh, number one logging into your computer. Maybe you have a Salesforce or some other environment. Maybe there's a financial reporting. Maybe there's a financial planning software. So you're talking like on a daily basis, most advisors are logging into seven, eight, maybe more pieces of individual software or technology. They're not integrated. Most of the time, they're not. So how do you start to integrate these, all these different softwares together so that, again, like you might be logging into one platform just to get one piece of information. So the time and the, the num- we used to count clicks, Duncan. How do I reduce the advisor's clicks to get the information they need? Can I go from 20 clicks to two? And really breaking it down into this granular component. And, and I, I'll shout out our CTO, Mike. He, is, he thinks about the world in a very unique way, especially, and here's the most interesting thing, he does not come from financial services. So when he came and started working with us, he had no background in financial services. And I think that was the biggest value in disguise that we'd never really thought about was here's somebody who's coming in with an objective mindset that is going to ask us why when why we're doing anything when it comes to technology. Classic answer, because that's the way we do it here, because that's the way we've always done it. And, and so, Lucas, we have to share this because I have it in front of me. Our number one core value, and then I want you to get back to what you were talking about, is if it ain't broke, make it better. And we're change makers. We have a learning culture here where we believe in constant improvement. And that's the key. That's the key to our evolution. And we embrace change because our industry can be stagnant or stale. And so we believe that it's fundamental to the learning process to be okay breaking things and to evolve and improve. So that's in our fabric. Really important. Max, Max, what are you what are you reading from there? Can you hold it up? Yeah, it's it's our Winthrop Wells core values. If you can see it. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We have four yeah. core values here. And 
And so we don't have to go off on a tangent on this now, but it's a really important piece of who we are. So you document and standardize and professionalize everything. You've got a playbook. You've got everything in terms of intellectual property. Nothing of value resides in your heads. Everything is captured and organized and structured that you could put it in the hands of somebody else. Vapor to paper, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and this is interesting. Okay, so hold your thought for a second, okay, Lucas, because... Part of integration is single sign-on, too many clicks, but also workflows because, I mean, let's be honest, the feature creep of technology is mind-boggling to the point of diminishing returns. There's so much, there's so much stuff in my car I don't use. There's so much stuff on my, all my technology I don't need or use, but it makes for a great sales conversation. That's a very important sweet spot to land in is that you you find the balance between functionality, workflow, efficiency, simplicity. But again, technology is not designed to replace something. It's designed to liberate someone to add the high touch, to add the relationship management in terms of community. So, so sorry, keep going, pick, pick that back up. Yeah, no, I think that was, that was a great point, Duncan. And getting back to where I was, you know, in touch in terms of talking about technology, it's, it just plays back into functional accountability. Mm-hmm. And so when I was talking about the amount of systems that you might be logging into on a daily basis to just collect one little piece of information. Yes. Single sign-on is great. Integration and consolidation of information into a single platform is fantastic. And I realize that not everybody has that right now and might not have that or access to a single platform that can serve the information to you. So you don't have to go find it, but tying that back to functional accountability is Based on your role in your department, what are the two pieces of technology that you need to use? That's it. Two. Two or three. Mm. You don't need... When you have functional accountability in a department, you can allow people to become specialists in those two or three pieces of Mm. technology that is in their department. Give them ownership and becoming the power user in your office, in your company, the masters of those systems so that you... You can't master 10 different platforms. It's, I, I mean, if you, if you can, kudos to you. Probably not spending a lot of time with your clients, but allowing functional accountability to own and master just a few pieces of technology that drive value for their functional department and then using that to consolidate and integrate into a main system that creates this transparency layer where I can go and find it, right? So... It also helps exponentially cut down on the learning curve to get someone into a functional role, knowing that they don't have to learn 10, 15 pieces of technology. They just have to learn one or two. And so this idea that we've kind of worked backwards has now created functional accountability with a technology component in each role which integrates into the greater, the, again, this technology, I think it is a big circle. It's a wrapper. And along that wrapper are all the different functional departments and it's connecting all of them. 
in the middle is the advisor with all these wires coming from each department to it. So he, the advisor can go to any point of this technology wrapper and get that information to cut down on the time that they spend getting what they need to have a simple phone call with a client, to review an account, to put in a, a workflow process that they they can have transparency into where things are and when they're complete. And that's a big one. We created a whole process and a whole workflow. Not, not any, none of our advisors will open accounts. None of our advisors trade accounts. Never, none of our advisors are moving money. They have a button that creates a workflow that goes to a functional department. They see the case has been created. It's been picked up by the investment management department. The trades have been complete and they don't have to go to call somebody and say, Hey, what's going on with this? Where is this in the process? Keeps them connected with the story and they can tell that story and share the process with the clients. And Lucas, I just wanted to wrap on that. I think you did a beautiful job framing it, but it's this high level concept, Duncan, that we've pursued of specialization. As we go up market in our industry and serve clients with more complexity, we need more specialization. So mm -hmm. creating groupings or departments, uh, central resources that can really specialize, allowing people to do their jobs and really focus like this and not like this. Um, the second piece of that is if you can create the specialization, which we're trying to improve every single day. I think we've done a good job, but we're always evolving it is this concept of the Formula One racing. For us, the advisor is always at the center in the driver's seat. Now, can the advisor have a successful race if they have to fuel the vehicle, if they have to stop in the pit stop, get it jacked up, get the impact wrench, pull all the tires off and put them back on? No, but if we have folks that just do the tires, just do the fueling. And if you watch these races or any competitive sport, that's how it works. And so to go up market, we believe we need to specialize. We need to make that, that seat, that single seat. There's one seat in an F1 car, but it requires an entire team around it to support the success. So the dependency is that team. And our team creates an environment to try to optimize the advisor success. And then finally, the question that I wanted to ask, I remember, Duncan, which is on the business to business side, for our advisor partners, we, we were having a conversation the other week and I, I started thinking about if, you're, if your strategy as an RIA, as an advisor is to make acquisitions, to pursue inorganic growth, which is a valiant one, a little bit more challenging with interest rates today, but it's a valiant one. And there's going to be continued opportunity for the next decade plus to make strategic acquisitions is, you know, the question that hit me was how, how, how can you communicate to the selling advisor as the buying advisory firm? How do you communicate to them that their clients are going to be taken care of? How do they know that they are going to get the expected level of service when they sell their clients to us. How do they know that? How do you provide them assurance? It's the same thing we come back to in the Pareto framework. Trust. 
integrity. When you're out at the bar with your friends and they ask you about your advisor and they say, how do you like your advisor? What do you like about them? I trust them. What have you learned? That's a typical response. I trust my advisor. I've learned nothing. And it's the same thing here. Well, I'm selling to I'm selling my clients to this firm. Look at them. They've got two billion of AUM and they've got a reputation and they don't have marks on their U4s. They must be good. <laughs> so I was thinking, you know, that's the same thing on the inorganic side as it isn't on, on the organic side, which is if if we can empower advisors through coaching to talk about the value that they bring to the table through process and process structure. Like, I like working with Winthrop Wealth. If we can change the answer from I trust Max at Winthrop Wealth to Max and his firm, they use this total net worth approach to running our lives and it works phenomenally well. All of a sudden, Duncan, you might say, well, that's really interesting. What's a total net worth approach? Well, it's this process for managing wealth and here's how it works and here are the different steps. They look at your entire plan. They build a balance sheet. They build a cash flow. They do the estate analysis. They look at you know gap analysis. For, do we have enough insurance coverage? Are there any risks? What are the opportunities? And then they build a portfolio to support that, to support goals, the family goals. And so that's a very distilled, but that process, now all of a sudden, it's not trust. Yes, it's trust, but it's process-driven trust. So on the on the inorganic side, I'm trying to circle here. On the inorganic side, the epiphany was, what if we could tell you, let's sit down together, selling advisor, buying advisor, and you as a selling advisor say, I like to call my clients once a month. I have two meetings a year in person. I do one social event where I invite them to dinner and then add something else in, right? Let's define that framework for you. How are you serving your clients today? And what is your expectation? If we can capture that, then with the systems that we've built, we can program it into our systems. We can build a service model for your clients and we are compensating our advisors who are going to be the continuity plan for your clients based on what you've defined. Now that's process. So that was my epiphany. Uh, hopefully it didn't take too long to get to the point. Well, I mean, Max, I mean, if nothing else, people feel the energy and the conviction. I mean, you talk about when a client as an advocate gets granular, granular about how they feel about their relationship with their advisor, that energy is palpable as opposed to saying, oh, I, I trust him, he makes me money. But when they get into describing things that are proprietary, this is the key, everybody. What is it that your clients appreciate that they can only get from you? Okay, Lucas, you talked about um, the integration. I mean, I, I use the analogy of bricks and mortar. All of the individual pieces an enterprise puts together it's it's not proprietary. The pieces are not proprietary. It's how they're assembled and how they're fastened with the mortar. It's the artisan and the mortar that is proprietary that creates a result, creates an outcome. This is so incredibly 
key. Uh, incidentally, uh, I thought I knew you guys, hockey, Ikigai. guy. Now you bring up F1, which we are going to Montreal for Formula One at some point. That's one of the best races uh, in the series. Love Formula One. It's such a great analogy, the seat. Um, I, I want to focus on two things here before we wrap up. And clearly, we've got to do a follow-up here. Back to intellectual property. Every investment of effort a financial professional makes working on their business culminates into things that are proprietary to them. Technology high-tech, high-touch, as it relates to the CIO. Okay, information. You talked about data. Data is an asset. It's an intellectual property. Um, I'm putting you on the spot here. I don't know this, but I'm assuming in your own way as a goals-based professional, you've embraced some approach of form and, and you capture what your clients tell you about what's important to them as user-defined fields within their profile? Is that safe to say? Yes. We talked about it just yesterday. And our our way of thinking of a form is it it's for you, Duncan. It's for the client. The F, the O, and the R, for. <laughs> so we made our own acronym. Um, oh, I love it. The, the money empowers the for. The goal's for you. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Uh, okay, so ultimately, all of this cascades into making you referable. You're referable organically B2C. You're also now referable B2B, where I'm sure advisors in your community uh, go out of their way to talk about you to other advisors. Let's talk for a moment about CMO, Chief Marketing Officer. Um. I'm assuming from a referability perspective from strategic partners and clients, you don't go, you don't need to go out into the world and try to convince a stranger to become a client. Your phone's ringing, you're being introduced. That's your marketing engine because you are referable based on everything you've done. I'll let Lucas hit that one, Duncan, but we don't have a dedicated chief marketing officer. We have uh, an associate director who handles that that function, and she's done a, a really nice job. Um, but we do have a lot of the other seats filled. So uh, the thing with fu functional accountability, when you're building a team, um, you can have uh, one person who sits in a few of those different functional seats, but you cannot have two people that share a seat. That is the cardinal rule. So mm. I just, I wanted to outline that. Okay. But Lucas, CMO could be ultimately cohesively being mindful about communication, Absolutely. how you're communicating to the marketplace, how you're communicating to your client base, how you're communicating to your value-added support team, your network of strategic partners. That's very deliberate as well. Yeah. It's, it's again, it gets back to consistency and messaging right? Consistent yeah. messaging and communication. And this is also one of the beautiful things around working with Pareto and, and our coach Scott is helping really 
hone in on what a consistent message looks like for our advisors to be telling our clients that creating advocacy, right? Imprinting, imprinting upon our clients. And what we've found, Duncan, is we've never been a firm that is, we don't, you know, we're not heavy on the advertising. We really don't do any advertising at all. What we do is we do branding. Mm-hmm. And our brand is backed by the value that we are able to create for our current clients. Creating advocacy with those clients through consistency and performing uh, performance or results, right? I don't know if like compliance allows me to say results, but getting getting the helping them pursue their uh, their form goals and achieving them. That is now leveraged into the brand. And that right there is all these materials that we've created, the content, consistency in content creation, consistency in what we talk about. Right. Right. So I look at our, our marketing as the messaging and communication platform that creates consistency across all clients, all team members, and all affiliates. If we can have that consistent layer, then we have an amazing marketing marketing program, right? Or branding program. Lucas is telling the same, the same exact story and has the same frameworks as Rob, as me, as Earl, as Mark. And that's, if, let me put it this way. If you want clients to embrace the firm, not just the individual advisor, my guy, my gal, my person, Mm -hmm. but the firm, then the communication consistency is critical because without that, you're always just going to be that trusted individual and it will not extend to the firm. So if you seek to build a firm and build a reputation, this layer is so important. I'd like to just tie that. I think this wraps it up nicely, Duncan, is one of our other core values is quirkiness matters. Right. So be yourself. We want our team to to have the freedom of expression to be themselves. And so when we talk about consistent communication, it's not this scripted communication where like, okay, it's a it's a bucketed answer for every question that we might get. It's having the consistency and the way that we think together as a firm, and then being able to infuse your personality into the conversation. And so be yourself. But when we're talking about things, when we're talking about the firm, when we're talking about what we're doing, where we're going, how we're getting there, the fundamentals, and I love this in Pareto, right? The, the Pareto system is all about the fundamentals. It's getting the reps in so that you have this fundamental base. And once you get your enough reps in, you can get a little fancy with it. You can start to infuse your personality. That's you can start point. to make it your own, put it in your own voice. But without the fundamentals, you can't do that. So what we are always focused on when we think about coaching is we're getting our reps in by continuing to build a very strong foundation with these fundamental concepts in how we message and how we communicate. Okay, so hold that thought for a second. I should have mentioned this at the beginning. Uh, for anybody listening in, find Lucas and Max on LinkedIn essential follows 
be certain to visit their website. Guys, I'm sure you'd be open to a phone call if somebody just wanted to check in with you and, you know, just ask for more detail. Um, you, know, you can tell these to have a, an athletics pedigree because you're right, the reps, the discipline, the rehearsal, practice, it's liberating. It, it Because now you become this unconscious competent and it's freeing and that's a big part of culture because quirkiness matters embracing bench strength having your uh what is it donut thursdays <laughs> donut thursdays you know it's just it's just it's what it means like if i'm a client of yours i want to know that i belong to something if I'm a team member of yours, I want to know that I'm part of something. I, I will build your dream if you're interested in my dreams. That's the power of reciprocity. This is such a powerful fuel towards the ikigai. And just embracing the fact that, you know, we don't pitch anything. We don't, we're not salespeople. We don't ask for referrals. Yeah, we're referable. And yeah, we communicate the concept of us being a sounding board. We'll speak to a friend or a family member of a client, but the fulfillment that comes from engineering an environment and an enterprise like this, uh, I can I can feel your sense of fulfillment, your sense of purpose, just in the way you talk about it. Uh, I can't wait to see you guys next time I'm in town. Uh, again, uh, website, straightforward, but if somebody wanted to track you down and have a little um, fireside chat with you. What's the best way to do that? Yeah, LinkedIn's always a great platform to connect. Uh, website, winthropwealth.com has all the information for, for us and our team. And I'll leave it with Max and I, look, we've, we're very grateful for our journey and, and where we've ended up. And we're not here to hide anything. We're, we're very transparent. And it gets back to that vision and execution, right? Mm -hmm. One thing to have the vision is another to execute. So we're not uncomfortable sharing about what we've done because we know that, well, number one, it's hard to execute. Mm -hmm. And again, we've had some luck. We've gotten lucky with some timing. We didn't talk too much about that today, but uh, we want to empower the industry to, to evolve, to transform, for advisors to be able to deliver better results for their clients. And be more passionate and enjoy what they love, continue to love what they do. And so we're here to empower the industry to have that positive change. And so we're, we're very transparent and we love having these conversations, Duncan, with, with you, with our peers, with people who are being a sounding board for others in the industry who are maybe facing challenges that we've already faced. And, and if they can learn from our mistakes and we can help them become better, then we're all for it. Some of the best mentors were really good protégés. Somebody took them under their wing. Somebody put them in an environment and then said, go. And now you've, you've got this sense of responsibility that you've got to, as you're in the interlude, you had mentors, you were a protégé. Now your mentors to protégés to the industry and the industry is better off because of it. I really appreciate your time. Great conversation. The time just zipped by. I'm going to see you soon in person. That'll be great. Definitely going to have you back. Uh, Max, closing comments? 
I think it, it, it's funny, you know, I enjoy these more open podcasts where we can speak freely and we can kind of string together important concepts and we don't always get to exactly what is planned. Um, I think there's this conversation merits a separate discussion about building a C-suite. Uh, one thing mm-hmm. that we did more recently this year is we stood up a, le- a leadership team. We formalized that and we have a coach, a business coach that helps us on that front with structure within the business. That's been transformative. Happy to share about that process. Um, but no, I really enjoyed the time today. And Duncan, thank you for uh, for teeing this up. This did not feel like work at all. This is an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. And I'll see you soon. And mark it down, June of next year, we're going to Montreal. Okay. And Big White. <laughs> Doors always open. These guys are... Uh, world-class skiers alpine skiers so uh yeah i'd love to see up at big white it's a long journey for you but uh definitely get out here but uh formula one for sure and uh i'll look forward to seeing you soon guys thanks very much say hi to your dad and uh talk to you soon Thank you for listening to Always On with Duncan McPherson, where our objective is to enable professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves. Want to learn more about Duncan and his team? Visit ParetoSystems.com. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Pareto Systems. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast is powered by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. If you're like me and want to spend more time educating people and less time selling, Proudmouth helps turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. They will help amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans. Visit ProudMouth.com to learn more.